like a moment from a horror movie. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I've seen this movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Join the club. We've got jackets. And you stole it from a movie. We want you in our club, kid. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, is Corey Starr. Hello, hello. You might also hear my witchy black cat, Clover, because <laughs> she's hanging out with us. <laughs> ah, we have a special guest, uh, feline friend. Um, so this is, of course, how could it not be? Um, this is our first episode of uh, September 2020, where we're going to be diving into some films of Martin Scorsese. Uh, we have five uh, weeks, five weekends in this month, so we'll have five different Martin Scorsese films. Um, I think all of which neither of us has seen, except technically I did see Cape Fear, which we're going to watch at the very end, but I was a kid, so I don't know if it really counts. I definitely wasn't watching it with the same eye that I watch films now, so, um, and I probably shouldn't have been watching it at all, but you know. Yeah, cares. we're, we, you know, we both turned out fine. I think that we're some of the most well-adjusted adults that I know, so... It feels that way a lot of the time, so I'm going to go with that. Um, so yeah. our first movie we're going to be talking about in a little bit is Raging Bull. Um, and technically, I did, to full disclosure, I attempted to watch this, I think, two New Year's Eves ago. Oh. And I, I made it, like, maybe 15 minutes in, and I was just like, you know what, not in the mood for this movie, and uh, turned it off. Um, and I almost felt that way when we started this, uh, and I... I I will get into that when we get to our actual review, but um, I was a little like, what is it with this particular film that just right away I'm not 100% wanting to stick with it? I tend to like Martin Scorsese. Um, I've not seen several of his big movies still, and a lot of them are going to get checked off the list this month. Um, but I've seen you know so most of his like super big ones, um, with the exception of Raging Bull being one of the biggest ones that I had not seen, because I believe this is on the top 100 AFI list. Um, so this was a huge one to finally check off the gap list. I, I had a couple of big ones this week, uh, which we'll talk about momentarily when we get to what we've been watching. Um, before we do that, we like to check in with one another. Uh, Corey, how are you doing? I'm so glad. Okay. So I was thinking about this today. I worked in retail for a very long time, a very long time. And that changed about three and a half years ago. And I'm just so grateful that like Monday is Labor Day, and if I still worked retail, I would be like working a poop ton. You know what I mean? Like because mm, of sales and stuff. Yeah, and I'm just. I was also thinking. I've been thinking a lot, like how scary it would have been to still have that job, like during COVID, because mm. I worked in a very big, very busy store. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and for sure. I don't know. Like, I've just I've been thinking a lot, guys. Um, but I'm just so grateful that it's a three day weekend because three day like long weekends are the best because not only do you get a long weekend, but you also get a short week the next week. Like, yeah. duh. But you know what I mean? It's like double jackpot. Well, I'm definitely feeling that because ooh, lesson planning. Um. I really, I feel like I found a groove for teaching online. We are teaching um, 
like as if we were in the class. So like they have normal period schedule. Like if it's from if first periods would normally be eight thirty to ten, that's when they are in, in the online session. Mm-hmm. And I found a really good groove with how to like maneuver that and uh, balance everything because um, the one difference that you have with an online class that you wouldn't have to deal with in a real class is some of their connections will just drop, you know, like, so oh. like kids don't just vanish out of their desk, you know, maybe they check out mentally, but they're still there. Right. Like where yeah. uh, here it's like you, they vanish and you, they can't always control it. And uh, there's no way to verify if they can control it and they'll come back. I mean, it's not like they're just gone the whole time, but they will just like drop out. So having to have a system in place that um, I don't have to constantly repeat myself, for those kids who like the one or two kids who drop out, you know, like, and, uh, I, I think I found a really good groove, but it requires so much more preparation than it would in a real class. So like it, I spent so many hours this week just getting stuff ready and then grading the stuff. Um, because I am, I'm giving, I'm not giving more work, but I am grading more things like things that in like in the classroom, I'd have them turn in, but I wouldn't actually grade. I am now grading, you know, like, uh, to just see they feel like they have to be there kind of thing and um that every everything we're doing is is counts yeah and and again i don't it's all stuff that's it's not like i'm grading hard either like i but i still have to like read it and check it and um i'm I'm looking more for interaction and getting them thinking about stuff um and it's just it's so much prep and then uh and then like today uh on fridays normally we have a six period day and that like the way the classes flow on the the because well, we do like odd events like Monday Wednesdays odd classes uh, Tuesday Thursdays even classes, but we have time built into the day where we have like breaks. So like period one happens and then we have like about a forty five minute. Um, if we were on campus, we'd have like a faculty like not a faculty meeting but like a full school meeting or we would have. Um, they have this we call it academic H two H where they're able to like get additional help during that period or they can go to a class where they missed an assignment and like get get additional time or whatever. Or if they're like caught up on everything, they just get a little bit of like chilled social in a classroom environment. Like they're able to come to my room and just like talk to their friends or whatever. And so we've we've kind of implemented that with online. We call that a brain break right now. And then uh, we when we come back to hybrid, because right now we are strictly online, but in like two weeks we're supposed to have some kids on campus and some kids off campus, and it's going to be even more weird. But we still have our hour long lunch break uh, right now. So like I have a class period, I have about 40 minutes and then I have a class period and I have an hour and then I have a class period and I'm done. Right. Then on Friday though, there's none of that time built in because all six classes. So today it was just like class, two minutes, class, two minutes, class, two minutes, hour, uh, right. hour lunch. And then again, like three more of those. And whew, it, it was, it was by the end of the day, I had like a migraine kind of thing going on. I was like, and it's not like my kids are great. Um, my most advanced film class, uh, who I've had for four years, um, everybody in the class, they've been with me all four years and, uh, we were starting, um, we're going to be doing this really big, deep genre analysis of the social problem film. And I'm going to be introducing them to a a variety of film types in that genre from a variety of directors and perspectives. And, um, but I'm starting with the breakfast club as a, uh, they most like half of the class has seen it. Half of them hasn't have not seen it prior um and we're watching it in chunks so they watch 30 minutes on tuesday night they watch 30 minutes last night which means i watched 30 minutes on tuesday night and 30 minutes last night um and then we had this like uh, we're using zoom which uh, is not uncommon right now like there's zoom stuff all over the place um but zoom has this really cool feature where i can do like uh they're called breakout rooms but it, it 
it's like groups. Like, you know, when your teacher was like, all right, you three together, you three together, you three together. And it like automatically does that and puts them into groups oh. for me. And then I can bounce in between those rooms and like talk to them about uh, the movie. Like, so I'll jump in and they're already made conversation about what they saw or what they thought. And I just like, I'm in there for a few minutes and I bounce to the other room. Like I was walking around the classroom. It's really, it's a very surreal kind of experience because I'm sitting in a chair the whole time, but I feel like I'm moving around because I'm like over here, I'm over there, I'm over there. And um, we were having uh, some really cool conversations about the Breakfast Club and uh, the the follow up. And I don't know if any of them listen to this, so it'll be funny because I might be spoiling where we're going with it because they don't know this part. But uh, one of the things that I I had come up with this idea last year and I tested it with a group last year. I'm doing it again with this group. Is um, I love the Breakfast Club and I love the archetypes that the 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 movie establishes and also how they basically kind of shatter the that's kind of the whole point of the movie is that we are not just these archetypes we are more than that but it's still all white people Mm -hmm. right and so i have them recast it if we were going to remake the breakfast club and make it look like the world we live in who would we cast right like so that's a discussion they've been studying film for four years so they've they've seen a variety of actors and and uh, of course they have their own experience and taste of movies and tv shows and so the recasting, the idea is to make it more diverse, to like really, you know, represent the world we live in versus just this, you know, fictional city of Shermer, Illinois, which if you dive into that and some of the other racial stuff that happens with some John Hughes movies, it can get pretty, pretty dicey quickly. Um, like, why did he invent a city that almost only white people live in? Uh, so, you know, concerning thoughts that might pop up um, when you, re, re, you know, recontextualize, but um it's 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 always really cool to hear, uh, you know, because my students are are diverse. Like they're from all different backgrounds and different socioeconomic classes, and so like right away, seeing a movie from this from nineteen eighty five still connect with with high school kids is pretty crazy when you really look think about it. Like because the way they dress and the way they behave, some of it has come back, mind you, like those fashion cycles. But uh, like it's it's fun hearing them connect with the characters like and they they all connect with different characters um you know a couple there was one group today that was talking that like one two of them really like bender and the two of them really like brian and i just was like that's it's so interesting that they find different ways to latch into this movie but i know you're a big fan of the breakfast club love it so and much I, do, I am also a fan so don't get me wrong uh but i just i think you know when we recontextualize and reevaluate um you know, things that we see, I mean, because you can never, no matter what you try to, like, say, you can never get past Long Duck Dong from 16 Candles with John Hughes, right? Like, there's no way around the racism that that character exhibits. I don't ever remember that movie very well, because it's not my favorite one. Like, it's never even come close, you know what I mean? Pretty in Pink is the best one. We can fight about this all day. You know, like, I know people are going to say, oh, no, it's Breakfast Club, but it's not. It's pretty in pink. Um, You know, like, I love both of those, and I've watched them both so much, but I just have, I never really, I mean, I kind of remember some of the stuff from 16 Candles, but I don't know. I don't know. It just There's a lot of messed up stuff in 16 Candles, because, like. uh, Well, like, the whole, uh, spoilers, but the whole underwear thing, and. Slash rape, apparently, like, because, like. Oh, Jesus. It's implied that the kid sleeps with the the other guy's girlfriend and like she's okay with it afterwards, even though she didn't remember it happening. Like, there's a lot oh, of geez. dark stuff in that movie. Maybe I um, need to rewatch it. 
Yeah, and then again, every time Long Duck Dong shows up on, which just the name, but th- there's a literal gong that happens in the in the di- di- uh, sorry non diegetic sound, and it is, ooh, it's just like wow, that's oh. not okay. Um, it, yeah. So my point, there's there's precedent to to question Hughes's point of view with some of that stuff. So, um, but it, it's still like, uh, you know. It, it opens up the world to, to think, you know, deeper and bigger. And, and again, so many movies are getting remade. It's, it's, and that one seems so like, Ooh, stop. well, I understand where you're coming from, but it would make sense to do it for multiple reasons. One, because while there are always going to be those archetypes, the way they're presented could be modernized much, you know, as long as you don't, you wouldn't try to recreate it as much as recreate the style and the, the connection that that movie has had for, 40 years, almost 40 years, 35 to be exact. I just feel like you shouldn't mess with some movies. And in that case, you need to just write your own movie and have its own title. I, but no. there, there's, there's no. a, a big precedent. Uh, I know we get real, we get real uh, possessive Emotional. over our stuff, but, yeah. but keep in mind, like every, with the exception of film, all most like other, like theatrical stuff has been redone and recrafted many many times because there was no permanent version of a play you know you would have to recast and every time you recast you were going to have a different performance and thus a different experience with that play and it's not necessarily one is better than the other they're just different and i while i often will take the side that you're taking um i do think there is a for every bad remake that has happened, there have been good remakes. And a lot of times we're not even aware that they're remakes. Like you know how many people probably saw a star is born and have no clue that there's three other versions of that 500 movie. of that movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then, um, and then of course that's the ones that are actually called a star is born. That's not counting all the very similar of that story. You know, the, the, uh, Hollywood dream, you know, come true versus the reality of it. You know, like that's been done too. So, hey, you know, there's room for it. Um, and again, you wouldn't have to necessarily call it the breakfast club, realistically the name of it never really made that much sense to me anyways um you know like they don't have breakfast if anything they're the lunch club they do have lunch it's just not as catchy you know it's like yes they met in the morning but they clearly already had eaten um (laughs) i remember eating at a restaurant called the breakfast club in orlando and we ate there There just because of the name guys of course uh why else would anyone eat there um (laughs) it's like uh, smoke them up, Johnny. Um, all right. So, uh, otherwise, I've been doing all right. Uh, quick update: it, Kathy looks to have um, we've hit the ten day window, and then the test that we were told to do by my uh, my sources was uh, not take medication for twenty four hours and see if she got a fever or anything like that. Nothing. Okay. So it looks like Kathy is uh, knock on wood, but in the you know in the clear, so to speak, where her symptoms were always very mild. Um, I and Taylor are going to get tested tomorrow morning uh, to see if, you know, if we have it now or not. Uh, I I guess we won't find out if we had it or not, but uh, both of us have been asymptomatic. So if we have had it, it it has not manifested. Um, But, you know, just good little update. Uh, It looks like everything is going to be the, the, the easier side of what could be with COVID. So we're, we're very grateful. Um, not to lessen anyone else's experience with it. Cause obviously we were, we've been on edge the whole time because who knows, but, um, and I even saying, you know, like I, I'm getting nervous. I'm like, I hope I'm not wrong, but she seems good. So, um, so yeah, but we're going to get into what we've been watching, uh, since the last time we recorded, uh, you want to go first or second this night? I'll go first. Um, All right. 
So I watched this really cool documentary on Prime. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, I guess that all my life I've had the wrong idea about taxidermy. But it's about taxidermy. Modern taxidermy. And it's called Stuffed. And it's pretty oh. cool. And it, like, uh, I think it was, like, right at an hour and a half or so. And all different, like, different ages. Like, men and women. Like... Um, uh, they approach taxidermy from different, some of them try to keep it very natural, like, you know, museum type stuff. And then there are people who are very experimental. Um, so that was pretty cool and interesting to watch. Um, I'll never get over my husband asking me, what are you watching? <laughs> it's great. Um, I watched a Shutter. I think it's a Shutter original. Maybe it's an exclusive but um, the shed. Okay. Uh, it's a vampire movie. It was you know good time. And then um, I watched. I saw something in Voodoo, and it just caught my eye. And I was like, I'm gonna watch that this week. And I made it happen. Um, I watched Life Changer. Oh yeah, I have not watched it yet. Um, the reason. <laughs> uh, the reason I bought it is um that I watched a documentary at uh the Fantasia Fest and that was his feature film that was in like the, oh, the cool. his documentary was about his experience of trying to become a filmmaker and that was the movie that got at the festival the year before and so I was like well I'm going to check that out and I, I bought it and haven't checked it out yet but because uh, I've been super busy and also was watching a lot of the movies from the festival but yeah uh, what'd you think I liked it I thought um oh, cool. I hate when I say the word interesting because well <laughs> but I I feel like we've like kind of seen stories that are similar, but I think that it had enough elements that were different that uh, it's so hard to talk about it, you know. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting. I did, and um, Bill watched it with me, and oh. you know, he called it. I oh. obviously won't say what it is, but. I liked it. I'm glad. I I, I want to watch it. Know what I was getting into? I just saw it, and it has really cool. I want to say box art, but it's not box art because it's digital. Um, I think it's like green and black or something. And then I like read Mm -hmm. the premise, and you know, just pulled me right in. It totally seemed like something you would be into. So I, I I won't lie, that was part of why. Like I I had it was on sale. I think for like five or six bucks. Oh, nice. I, I had a voodoo credit, um, so I was like. Yeah, why not? Um, you know, I will uh, again because I really was into the documentary. Um, it's uh, it's called uh, Clapboard Jungle is the name of the documentary, oh. which my review is up at Burke Reviews, and uh, it will probably get distribution at some point. I haven't heard if it's gotten like you know or when it will be released. It probably already has distribution, but um, I really found the story compelling. And um, as a film teacher, I really like getting a, a documentary where I can show my students. The, the independent film cycle. Oh, and he's got a great interview with Guillermo del Toro in it too, actually. Um, so I know you're a big oh, del yeah. Toro fan. So uh, del Toro has got some really cool insight into that. He actually has some of his talking head interviews are, are fantastic. He got a lot of really, not necessarily all like del Toro is by far the most famous um, and definitely most award-winning director he got, but he's got tons of people from like independent cinema that you'll be like, Oh, I've seen that movie or I recognize that guy. And uh, 
it's 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 a really cool doc. So I'm glad that his his initial feature uh, or his not his first feature. He'd made a few, but this was definitely his most successful feature um, to date. And uh, that's not a criticism. That's just based on the documentary. Um, and then he that, made the doc. But that's interesting that he you just talked about Guillermo del Toro. Um, big fan. I know you are too, obviously. But I also watched pretty much for the first time Mimic. I still have not watched that. Dang. So I feel like my dad watched it at some point, and I feel like I probably caught some scenes or something out of it, but I hadn't really, you know, and mm-hmm. yeah. I remember the trailer when I was a kid, and I thought it looked really cool, and I never made it to see it, and um, I never rented it or anything, and I've been meaning to watch it. I bought it a while ago, and uh, again, I think it's the only Del Toro film I've not seen. Oh, um, because I've seen Kronos and I've seen Devil's Backbone, which I love Devil's Backbone. And oh, I obviously, love Devil's Backbone. Yeah, uh, obviously the Pan's Labyrinth. And, um, but I've seen both of the Hellboys. Uh, Blade 2, I saw not realizing it was Del Toro when I saw it, but I was a Blade fan, so I went to see Blade 2. Um, not a fan of Blade 2. A lot of people like that one. I, I did not. But, um, uh, but yeah, Mimic, I've had on my radar for a while and I just haven't, I haven't gone to it. Um, so I need to watch that one too. So yeah, you just got that. That's funny. Uh, you caught quite a few. You, I think you watched more than me for once. Hey, and was, also this movie. So I think that's five this week. Ah, yes. Um, I have no life. So I I finished Psych. I don't know if you remember last year I started Psych, mm-hmm. and I got I got to season eight. And Anthony Michael Hall, uh, kind of ironic, um, shows up at the end of seven and into eight. And I really wasn't liking the direction the show was going, so I stopped watching. Now, two things I'm, I was upset about when I resumed watching this week is one, I found out that there were only 10 episodes in season eight, so I should have just stuck it out. And then uh, the other thing is that Anthony Michael Hall is not in it the whole season, and if I had just waited like one more episode, I would have been content with how things resumed. So uh, I ended up very much enjoying the end of Psych. I'm glad I, I went back to it. Now, I do have, there's two movies and a musical, I think, that exists that I've not watched. So I'm planning on getting to those at some point. Um, well, that's interesting. Um, but last, uh, so since we recorded... I watched the um, the last film I've seen so far. I actually have three screeners. I'm not sure if they will work uh, from Fantasia Fest because the fest is over. Uh, but I'm hoping I can still watch them. I'll find out this weekend. Um, but uh, I watched the Block Island Sound, which is like a sci-fi horror film that I really like. Um, I don't think it's perfect or anything, but I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, Matt and I reviewed it on our most recent episode of BAMP. Um, and I, I really thought the cast was super strong and... Um, I, if you get a chance to check it out, I say do so. Um, so I have a friend, uh, technically a coworker, although now we're, we're at two different schools, but we've worked together and we, we, uh, we are big fans of a lot of the same type of stuff. And I've been trying to get her to watch blind spotting for two years. And there's no real reason why she hasn't watched it. She just hadn't been able to, and she's super, she is super busy. So like, I'm not even, but she finally did end up watching it, uh, over the last two days. Um, and loved it, which I knew she would if she you know, had been able to watch it sooner. But um, on Saturday, she uh, found out that I had never seen Tombstone, um, the Western starring Val Kilmer and, well, really starring Kurt Russell with Val Kilmer's Doc Holliday. Um, it's been on my radar for a long time. And uh, the reason it was brought up was because of Psych. That's actually why I started with Psych, because I did not know this, but uh, Psych was basically Ferris Bueller and um real genius meshed together which she informed me of and 
um, I have never seen Real Genius, so I've now purchased that. But that led to the the, the revelation that I'd never seen Tombstone, and apparently that movie was like life changing for her. She's a history teacher and a history enthusiast, and apparently when that when she saw that movie as a kid, she got so into Tombstone that she um, they their internet was not readily available yet in 1993, so she calls and gets like a bookstore in tombstone and they, they, they help her get like all these historical books or something. I don't fully remember the story, but it was, she's a big fan. So when she found out I hadn't seen it, she was like, you must watch it. So I finally did. I sat down Saturday night and I watched it and have you seen it, Corey? No. Yeah. It's great. Um, especially Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer is so good in that movie. And I love Kurt Russell. I know you're also a big Kurt Russell fan. Um, you know, he's just awesome. And, uh, what am I doing with my life? Like, I forgot that I watched six movies. I watched Escape I know. from New York. <laughs> as, I, as I'm saying this, I'm like, hey, didn't you watch Escape from New York? Yeah. So really, guys, I have no life. <laughs> so, I just work um, and watch movies. It's fine. Hey, that's what I try yeah. to do. Uh, things get in the way sometimes. But um, so I really like Tombstone. Definitely recommend. Uh, then. Um, a podcast I've been listening to, and I was really bummed to find out that they were doing seasonal, and so like their season one just ended. But it's called uh, Truth versus Hollywood, and um, they every episode they'd done this for season one, I'd already seen the movie. Like they uh, they it's two parts, so like they do part one, part two the next week, and they did like um, they do. It's really cool because they they go beat by beat from the the film, but they also have like they intercut interviews with actual people who like know the true story and they, they give facts and stuff and I like nerdy crap like that. So um like the first episode was uh oh did they start with Zodiac? They did Zodiac, they did um Argo, they did uh Goodfellas. I think Goodfellas was their first episode. Um oh there's two more. Uh Social Network and I I think the last one they, which I just I had to watch the movie because it was the only one I hadn't seen the movie already was um, American Gangster, and uh, so I, I made an effort to watch American Gangster this week. It's a Ridley Scott film, stars Denzel, Russell Crowe, and uh, I, I knew about it. I hadn't. I had. I don't always like gangster movies, so for a long time I really didn't like gangster movies. I just never gave them a chance. And then I've I've come around over the last you know six years or so. I've watched all the big ones. Um, this was one of the last ones. I don't know if it's considered to be a truly big one, but like I saw Goodfellas when I first started Burke Reviews. I watched Godfather. It was literally the first movie I, I watched for Burke Reviews because I'd never seen The Godfather. Mm-hmm. And then I watched Godfather Part 2 the next day because I'd never seen them. Um, I've seen Casino now, and I've seen uh, I saw Scarface with Mike uh, not long ago. I guess it was probably like two years ago, but it felt like not long ago. Um, I guess we're old. And yeah, age is, is but a construct. And then, but American Gangster being you know Ridley Scott and Denzel and, and Crow, um, it's it's really good. I really like Russell Crowe in it. I actually um, I I don't know. At some point, I felt like I didn't like Russell Crowe, and it's dawning on me that that's not true. I very much like Russell Crowe. Like I I loved him in Nice Guys, and I love him in this movie. Um, I really think he's uh, I can't think of the name of the movie. Some the true history of the Kelly Gang or something like that. Uh, I saw earlier this year, which is a really cool movie, and Russell Crowe's barely in it, but man, when he's there, he's just so good. Um, old and grumpy Russell Crowe is actually really great. I don't know if you've seen a lot of his like more recent no. movies, but that's kind of his... He's like in a wheelhouse of just like letting his body go. He's not trying to be a muscular guy anymore, and he's just like... Even nice Me? guys. No, um, kidding. 
but uh, but yeah, that's um, that's all I was able to fit into this week. I, as I mentioned, I've watched an hour of the Breakfast Club. I have forty seven minutes left to watch before uh, Tuesday, um, and that's all. I I, I did. Uh, I mentioned when we recorded last week, I was in the middle of Arsenic and Old Lace, um, the Cary Grant film from nineteen forty four. And man, I love that movie. That movie is great. Uh, I did finish it after we recorded it. I stayed up way too late, but um, I wanted to check it off the list and I did and it's great. So if you're a fan of Cary Grant, I still have a bunch of other Cary Grant movies to get. I bought a bunch of movies this week. Uh, like I think I got like four or five Cary Grant films and a couple of um, other older films that my friend who wanted me to watch Tombstone, I bought like Real Genius and I bought, um, I can't even remember now, um, The Jester or The court jester with uh oh man everything's gone but you know it happens this keeps happening today i'm actually really exhausted today but oh, the show must go on let's get uh, a quick commercial break and when we come back we will get into the movie of the week and the first of scorsese month um i feel like we have a better name than just scorsese month was there a name i don't think so you know what we're just going to go with Scorsese. Uh, Scorsese September. That's what we'll call it. Um, alliteration. So we'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, we're going to be talking about Raging Bull from 1980. Uh, the life of boxer Jake LaMotta, whose violence and temper that led him to the top in the ring destroyed his life outside of it. Um, it has an 89 Metascore, 8.2 IMDb user score. Uh, obviously directed by Martin Scorsese. It's based on the book by Jake LaMotta, uh, written... Um, I'm looking to see if it says with Joseph Carter, with Peter Savage screenplay by Paul Schrader. I did not realize Schrader had written this. Uh, if you're not familiar with Paul Schrader as a name, you should be. He wrote Taxi Driver, but also recently directed um, uh, First Reformed, which got a lot of buzz a couple years ago. Um, arguably one of his best. Uh, and then he is he is a up and down filmmaker to say the least. He's done some weird stuff as a director. Um, you know, he does a lot of like straight to DVD type stuff, but he's uh pretty prolific as a writer and obviously worked with Scorsese. I didn't realize he had written the screenplay. Um, also, he has a shared credit with Mark Dan Martin, who I, I'm less familiar with, but I'm sure he's also, oh, he wrote Mean Streets, which we're going to be watching in two weeks. Oh, and he wrote The King of Comedy. Um, so, uh, stars Robert De Niro, Kathy Moriarty, who's, Kathy Moriarty's in a bunch of stuff and I didn't realize until like halfway through this movie. I'm like, oh, I've seen her in all these things. Uh, of course, Joe Pesci often collaborated with Scorsese and De Niro. Um, we get Frank Vincent, Nicholas Calasanto, uh, Teresa Saldana, Mario Gallo, Frank Adonis. And I think that covers the gist of it. So um, you want to start or you want me to start? Because I have some, some thoughts, but I don't, I'm okay with going either way. You can go ahead. So uh, the I think what happened, because I almost wanted to stop at the same part. Uh, one, I don't I don't like domestic violence which i i'd like to think everybody feels that way but i don't obviously some people are more uh, you know into it but it really it, more into it. i'm sorry i that's yeah i'm again my brain's not all here anyway so i didn't necessarily mean it but some people are obviously yeah. feel different about it i i don't like it Crap. um and it is it's a trigger point for me it, it uh it always kind of hits me in a way that i i it hits to my core and it, it's I'm never comfortable with movies that really like depict it. And especially because the dialogue in that sequence is very, it feels a little more improv than I would, I, I would say from other uh, Scorsese movies. And 
it just feels like De Niro's kind of like riffing and it's it feels too real I think as a result and it was just like it made me uncomfortable and that's definitely on New Year's Eve it wasn't the right vibe right like that's not oh, I feel like that's not how you want to ring in the new year man no well I didn't know what I, I thought it was a boxing movie you know like like Rocky it's gonna be inspirational right like I I knew nothing about like I still would say I know very little about boxing especially not boxing from the 40s right like I know nothing um my extent of boxing knowledge is a, fic- a fictional boxer named Rocky Balboa that's what I know and I, I was like I grew up with Mike Tyson and Holyfield and the whole ear biting thing. Like, so I know a little bit of that time period because I was watching sports center. You get things, but I know nothing of like boxing's history um, outside. Again, like Muhammad Ali, everyone knows. I feel like everyone knows like he's an iconic kind of thing. Um, I knew nothing of Jake LaMotta. So um, I, I didn't know what I was getting into when I started the movie. I knew it was considered a classic, but I honestly just thought it was for the boxing. Uh, and th- to be fair, I think it's the story's compelling um, it, and again, I think once I got past that part and saw that it wasn't just going to be that the whole movie, cause it is, it's really early where there's just like a lot of yelling and they're both yelling and it's very stress inducing. And I was just like, I don't like this at all. Um, but once you get past that initial fight, that kind of mellows down for a while. It does come back, um, without getting into any spoilers of how it comes back, but like the, the, uh, anger and jealousy and hostility that's in him is definitely something that's a part of his character. It's a major flaw of the character. Um, but the filmmaking of this movie is what really won me over by the end. Uh, there's, I mean, I already think Scorsese's a genius. It's not like, Oh, what a shock. I can't believe this guy knows how to make good movies or the fact that it's on the AFI top 100 list. Obviously there was a reason. And so it doesn't mean you're going to like it right like you can not like a movie that is well made or well crafted but by the end i was just like wow what he's doing here is is impactful and powerful and um some of the visuals were so shocking for a boxing movie too uh i i man there's a sequence though that clearly stands out i don't want to get into why just yet because it is there could be plot elements that get into it but um where like you could just tell it it's the budget was saved for this sequence kind of thing. Like, cause it is so much better. Like the movie's good all the way through, but there's a sequence where it's like the masterpiece of cinema. Like you're just like, wow, that's where the money was, was put into this sequence. Uh, and it's, it's great. I, I've become a really big Joe Pesci fan. Like I always kind of liked him. Like, but when, when, for a long time, when people would say Joe Pesci, my default was home alone, right? Like yeah. that was the movie that I knew him from. <laughs> I think that that's just from the era that we grew up in. Right. That would have been the logical first movie for us to see with Joe Pesci, right? Because it was a kid movie. Like, we shouldn't have seen Goodfellas in 1990 because we weren't meant for that. We shouldn't have seen this. I know we we did see some questionable movies, but they weren't made for us. Home Alone was literally made for us. And to be fair, when you look at it that way, he's not that... Like, this is 1980 when we see Pesci here, but still, like, it's only uh, 11 years later for Home Alone or, like, 12 years later. So it's kind of crazy when you think about that, but um, I love him in Home Alone too. I think he's really good in Home Alone. But then, like, I I remember seeing a movie called The Super, which mm. is is pretty bad, but it was like a, a comedy with him. I I had skipped My Cousin Vinny until like a year or two ago, and that movie's actually really great. And I was really surprised at how good that movie was. Um, but you know, like, so my my like I've in the last several years I've come to realize how great of an actor. To, oh, also Lethal Weapon too. Uh, is my other interaction with Joe Pesci when I was younger. I still saw Home Alone first, but then Lethal Weapon 2, where he's kind of the butt of the joke, right? Like, he's not the serious guy that you're... Like, 
because he's always kind of like plays like the underdog where people underestimate him because he's small, but then he's like feisty and he hurts people like so bad. Um, and that happens here in Raging Bull too, where like he, he you know, he's this the little brother to the boxer, but man, don't mess him up because he will come at you. You know, like he is brutal, and I, I really like Joe Pesci. I, obviously, I like De Niro um, in general. Um, I. <sighs> I, I felt like the performance was a little too naturalistic early, as I mentioned. Like, it was uh, not too naturalistic, but too, like, loose. Like, it felt improv. It didn't feel like he was, um, like, there was actual written dialogue for lots of the early stuff. And it, I felt that. And, again, that's that's a personal issue. I don't like dialogue to feel like a, a, the actor is just coming up with it off the top of their head, where it's just like, you don't know what to say, so you just keep saying random things or repeating yourself because he repeats himself a lot in this movie but i feel like too that i i know when i get upset i repeat myself so it just does seem very natural to me it didn't like take me out of the movie at all or no and again i think that's like i think you're right but for me that's the way it initially registered and then as the movie went on though i do like it didn't bother me anymore so i do think it's that initial sequence and that fight and and again, again, I do have, um, I, I, I don't, I have never been diagnosed with anything to like say I have PTSD over things like that, but that type of stuff really hits in a way that nothing else freaks me out like that kind of thing does. Um, where like, I, I'm literally just kind of, and it doesn't like movies don't always do that, but because of how real I think it feels. Um, and also, I mean, I may, I didn't know how much of it was based on a true story, to be honest. Um, until like this go around uh, when I first attempted to watch it, but um, I did I did like it. I, I've said a lot. What what are it sounds like you liked it? I did. Um, because I don't think that the point of this movie is for us to like our main character. Yeah, I don't think so either. No. Um. So once I got over that, <laughs> um, because I don't know. It's just two hours of watching this man self destruct and ruin everything you know yeah yeah every time it looks like something's gonna go right for him it's like nope around yeah um yeah um there are some scenes in it that are just freaking amazing um i mean i feel like there's nothing new for me to say there but i would like to talk about some of those a little after spoilers Um, Also, I need to say something. I need to get this off my chest. Um, So I realized when she was like laughing or no, she was yelling or something. um, Kathy, is it Moriarty? Moriarty. That's a hard name, guys, for me to say. I've been thinking about it really hard. That probably sounds dumb, but um, Moriarty. Um, Dude, she's Kerrigan from Casper. Oh, okay. See, I didn't get that with Casper. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love Casper when I was a kid. Devin Sawa, duh. Well, and that's, she's in, um, like, I recently watched But I'm a Cheerleader, and she's oh. in that. I, I recently is watched the, the Double. Is she the I, the? I think co- she's the counselor. Yeah, I the counselor. she's the counselor. Um, yeah. I uh, but I watched the, the Double, and she's really, uh, I don't really remember her in that, but I watched the Double, she's in that. Um, she's in Patty Cakes, which I've been oh. advocating for for years, but I don't, she's not the mom, so I don't know what, she, oh no, I'm sorry, I totally know, she's the Nana in Patty Cakes. She's and the like, Nana? Right, like, I was like, oh my god, she says the PB&J song, because uh, I'm a big fan of, of that movie. Um, 
and I'm glad that you actually watched it because I'm sure I didn't watch all of it. I'm sorry. Oh, I couldn't get through it. That hurts. There's a part where she's having a rap battle, and I was just like, I'm out of here. It's really good. See, you had that secondhand, (laughs) you had the secondhand uh, embarrassment. You you have to get past it because she like she she schools him. It's so good. That's crazy. Um, I tried though. Uh. Yeah, the cast is is again. It's a small cast. Um, a lot of time passes too, which like I didn't. I I really thought I was in for more of a boxing movie. It's not to say it's not a boxing movie. The movie has a lot of boxing in it, but it's definitely more about the man, right? Like and and his um being very good. Like because that's the other thing. I kind of expected him to like maybe be a bad boxer, and that's not the case either. Like he's a really really good boxer, so good that people didn't want to fight him. And that hurt his career. And then also his, like, his stubbornness is a big part of this. Like, that he, he refused to uh, um, work with the system, basically. Like, he was trying to do it on his own, but the system was Trying to do it so honestly? You can't. Yeah. Yeah, without anybody. Uh, you know, and that's always been, like, the throwing of fights and things like that is always problematic. Wait, John Petrero's in this? Oh, he's just a dude at a table. Okay. Um He's uncredited, but uh, he's he's credited here. Um, but yeah, it it's, I mean, it, it makes sense why it's so highly regarded. There's so much of Scorsese in this movie. It's a really great performance by De Niro, and I actually really like Joe Pesci a lot yes. in this movie. Um, again, I I am definitely on a Joe Pesci fan of. I would be a, a fan of his all the time. Um, which another reason you should watch The Irishman. He is so freaking good in The Irishman. Um, I know it's long, but it's really good. Is it like three hours? Yes. Okay, I'm gonna do it. It's worth it. It's so worth it because again, De Niro is also really good in it. Even though the worst part about it is that no matter how much you digitally de-age them, they still move like old men. But mm. but that only comes up like once or twice where it's like noticeable. But there's one scene where you'll get exactly what I'm, you'll be like, oh. That's what he meant. Um, but Pesci is so good in that movie. Like I, I, man, um, just absolutely great in that. But uh, to stay on point with Raging Bull, let's move into spoilers, guys. From here on out, you're going to talk about this movie in great detail. You have been warned. Um, so I think that, like, first of all, the movie's in black and white. Um. Mm-hmm. I just think that they did such a great job with everything that I never felt like this movie was made in 1980. Yeah. Like, I really, you know, felt transported in time. Um, I never for a minute thought that Vicky was 15 because she looked like she was in her 30s, but... How old was he in that moment, do you think? Because that was, I couldn't quite wrap my head around how old he was. I felt like she's she's 15, and I felt like he was probably at least nearing 30, but I feel like oh. probably, dude, isn't like, I feel like this keeps coming up in movies, and it pisses me off. Like, you have a wife that is an appropriate age for you, um, you know, like, I don't know. She's a little girl. I mean, sorry to any 15-year-old who might be listening, but, like, it just really bothers me because I feel like he's twice her age and at a time, you know what I mean? At ages like that, I feel like it does, it definitely matters. I don't know how to word what I'm trying to say, but. No, I, I agree. It, it, like, I was like, whoa, wait, hold on. What's happening right now? Like, why is this, uh, 
why is this a thing? And um, Right? And then, like, just, like, that whole pursuing her thing while he's still married. There's, like, nothing to like about this guy. Well, now, to be fair, though, to the marriage part. I mean, I felt like it was unclear exactly what had transpired, but it seemed like his wife left him before he was fully pursuing her. Like, he, he, I, it's, it's, so the scene where she throws the plate out at him and is like, you know, she's calling him, like, basically saying that him and his brother are gay, which is just, like, the whole sequence is very tense and crazy. And then we never see her again after that. Right? And she threatens I that I'm, I, I, see, I, maybe I, I missed it. I, I, I do, could be so wrong. I get distracted, but I felt like. She threatens that she's not going to be there when he comes back, and then I feel like we don't see the wife again. So I and they don't, they definitely don't like. She doesn't catch him cheating or anything like. You know what I'm saying? There's none of that where like he. But I felt, I I felt like why did he bring her to his parents' house then? Why not just right. take her to his own house? Because I felt like his wife must still be there. But we never see, like, anything happen with it. You know, like, there's no divorce sequence. There's no conflict of her catching them. You know what I'm saying? It's just, like, she's just there now. Like, um, Vicky is just the girl now, right? Like, uh, it's, mean... set, it's set up for that confrontation, and it doesn't pay off, which I don't think is wrong. I think we're just supposed to assume that it was ending, and he was already, he, clearly he was not a good guy. Like, I'm not defending him. He's one. He's chasing a fifteen-year-old, which again, I, we don't know for sure how old he is. He might just look older because he was a boxer. Like maybe he was supposed to be in his twenties, um, and which is still bad. But there's a significant difference between a thirty-year-old and a twenty-two-year-old dating a fifteen-year-old. Both are bad, but still, I think one is worse. You know what I'm saying? Like one is you. You have hit an age where it's not at all okay to be looking at a 15 year old like you could have a 15 year old at like you probably shouldn't but you could at age 30 you know and yeah. maybe even more likely in 1940 that you would because the life expectancy was still lower so whatever um it was that part definitely was not never sat right with me the whole time and again uh we're they're they're together for a while um and like we were with them for a long time i mean like at least uh 20 years we're with him, I think, because I think it starts, well, it starts media res where he's rehearsing for a speech he's about to give, but then it cuts back to 1941, I think is when we join, and then it goes up to 61, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, uh, totally, I agree. Bothersome in every way. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least when she gets out of there, I figure she's about 27. Cause I figure they might've been dating for like a year before they get married or something. And then they have at least their 11th anniversary. And then she's out of there with three kids, but she's got to be about 27, which I'm still not saying it was a good situation, but at least she didn't waste her whole life. I guess she still has some life to live. Yeah. I don't know what I'm trying to say exactly, sorry. Or how to, like, work, you know, say what I'm trying to say. But I thought that they were going to be okay because they seem okay for a while. And then he just goes off the deep end for no reason. Like, I don't feel like anyone around him ever does anything to provoke, like, his... <sighs> yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Like, it, he's, it's just internal. Like, his, his major conflict is his doubt and his trust. Um, I mean, 
And the okay, so she she admits to like sleeping around. Um, but I think she's point. just lying. To, right, that's not he's about mad at her anyway. Yeah, he's, she was just saying what he want what he was acting like what he wanted to hear, which you know, so he could justify the rage almost. Like I am already angry. I just need to know that I'm angry for for something and not for nothing. And so I. It, yeah, it does seem like that. She just says what he's been prompting her to say. Well, because he asks his brother. I don't even know why he suspects his brother. They kiss on the mouth. I don't know. That's well. The, he he clearly knew something about the fight, which that scene where Pesci like ho, 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 destroys ho. that guy with the taxi door like was there so nuts. Is so much in this movie that just like made me hurt and. I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but in high school, I freaking loved boxing. I watched boxing all the time. I haven't watched it in a really long time, and I'm not going to age myself. But I love boxing. I think they used to have like um, matches every Friday or Saturday or something on HBO, and my whole family would watch yep. them. Um, yeah, I think it was Fight Night, Friday Night Fright, Friday Night Fight, or something like it was something like that. My grandpa was a huge fan of boxing. He was, he'd always have it on. I never really watched it. But. And I don't know if I just didn't get it when I was young or if, I mean, I think that the scenes in this movie are like particularly brutal. I felt like maybe like if I were watching a boxing match in high school that the referee would have broke it up at some point or something. But in the movie, it just keeps going. And all I can think is like brain damage or you're not going to be able to hear anymore or you're going to lose sight in your eyeball or, you know, like it was just really... And the, the one scene is like, I mean, that scene's really bad because he's like slamming that taxi door on that man like multiple times. Yeah. Is that Salvi? Is his name? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's just like it, it, they start inside the club at the table for no reason. I just have a hard time living in 2020 and seeing how women were treated like these expectations that you can't even sit and have a drink with friends or not that everyone was like that, but again, I don't know how exactly to say what I'm saying, but you know, like this all started because she's having a drink at a table with people that she's known longer than her husband. Yeah. I mean, it didn't seem, I mean, they even talked about how she never did anything appropriate with anyone else. Like she wasn't that kind of girl. So why that obviously wasn't the type of relationship that they her and those people had they were having a drink <laughs> i don't know yeah like so much just starts off of like stupid little things in this movie like don't they have a fight because she goes out yeah that whole fight in the bathroom and where he goes after his brother all starts because she went out to see her sister and then went shopping yeah well, and like, but he because he doesn't trust her. It's it's not because she was innocent. It's because yeah. he doesn't believe she's innocent. Like there's no way this girl. It, it's almost like he doesn't believe he deserves anything that he has. Like everything is is suspect. You know. Yeah. Uh, totally agree. And it's like he has all these great things. Great. He has so much greatness in his life. He has a beautiful home. He has a beautiful wife who obviously loves him because she puts up with a lot of BS. And then beautiful kids he has a brother that obviously cares about him because he's also his manager like his i don't know like he has so many things that so many people would be so grateful to have and he just ruins it all well i like too because he calls him out like he calls uh joey 
um, out on like being a bad manager. And he's like, why you got me fighting this guy? And then he like he literally oh. like, let me show you why I'm a good manager and like lays out all of the explanation. And I just, I love that scene. I thought it was but so there, great. There's no losing that. Even if you lose, you still win. I love when he said that. Cause yeah, it was true. Like he just treats everyone so badly. He does. And Joey takes up, like takes a lot of it. And is I, I really, man, I, I loved Joe Pesci in this movie like so much like he is definitely my favorite part and again not to criticize De Niro De Niro is great and apparently De Niro gained like that weight first and they filmed like all the fat scenes and then he had to get buff for the, like the oh other interesting um, at least that's what I just read from another review while we were talking here and I'm just like wow that's nuts um but um I just realized uh too I'm, I'm looking at the top 100 AFI list and I've now seen 68 of the 100 movies um so I'm, I'm making progress. Uh, yeah, if, if this list is still up to date that I have, uh, Raging Bull is number five on the top 100. So, um, and it's the highest ranking Scorsese film. So, Wow. Um, which I want to talk about the, the cinematic masterpiece of the fight with uh, the, oh. I think it's the third or fourth Sugar Ray fight. Um, Isn't it the last which, one? Or is it? It's the last one, but I don't remember. How, it's either three or four. I just can't remember how many they fought before. But yeah, it's the last fight where he gets decimated um the cinematography is so awesome i love the zali where you get to see sugar ray kind of like this menacing figure and the world expands while he stays in focus in the center and then back to lamada who's just standing there taking it and the freaking gore is like a, it's like a cronenberg movie um the body horror in the sequence because he's like every punch you just see like a split and blood squirts and there's blood all over the audience which i don't know if that ever actually happens in a boxing match it seemed way more brutal than any boxing match I've ever seen. And it's, it's so right? intense. It's so nuts. It's just such a great sequence. Um, man. And it almost reminds me of psycho because it's cutting to like so many, like it cuts to like just the glove and it cuts to just the face. And there's so oh. many cuts. Um, and it's so rapid and yet not. And it's, but it's like, it's like this, the shower scene where you're just seeing the knife. You never actually see the knife go in, but you just keep seeing the knife and all the things. And there's blood in the drain and this, this is happening. That's what it reminded me of in that the editing. It, it's such a masterful sequence. It's, it's brilliant. I, you know, I've seen the, the most big like Scorsese movies. And this one is just that sequence. I'm just like, wow, wow. Uh, I mean, a, instantly made me like okay i get why this movie's on the top 100 list like i don't because you like you said you're not supposed to like a character but that makes it hard to initially connect um one of the the guys on letterbox i just read his review he basically like put to words what i felt was like the first half i'm really not in it and then by the second by the end i was like completely in it i was totally 100 percent like wow this is just amazing i can't believe um i almost didn't sit through it kind of thing you know and um, it's not because of the pacing because they commented on it being slow. I'm like, I never felt like it was slow. There's a lot, of, a lot of dialogue and stuff's happening, but I mean, I didn't feel like it was slow. Um, I guess if you're looking for like an action packed like boxing movie, it's not that. But I feel um, like even Rocky isn't like that. It's not. As I, I love, I the, love the, Rocky. Yeah, the character development of Rocky, and I love Creed even more. And Creed has a few more matches in it than I think the uh, first Rocky does. But um, and this has like the whole montage of him like fighting. And the fights are brutal, man. Like the the punches, they feel like they're landing. Like De Niro really sells some of those hits um, that he's delivering, and I, I I was just really, um, really really into it by the end. And 
what you know, I, I'm kind of intrigued. I, I was really hoping that Truth versus Holly was going to do a move, uh, an episode about this movie because I'm curious, like how much of it really connects with like what Drake Lamada really went through, and um, when he throws the fight, the one fight that they have him throw, which man, if 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 I was watching a match like for real, and I'm guessing that it must be close to what actually happened because that guy looked like he had no chance of beating Lamada, and like Jake looked. I mean, he didn't even like go down. He took a you know the the technical knockout, and it's wow. I would have been rioting if I had bet money on that fight. I was wondering too because we learn throughout like the beginning of the movie that these fights are set up that right that even people that if you're watching the fight you don't think is going to win, they still end up winning. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't want to have anything to do with that. And I was kind of wondering, like, he was supposed to lose to Sugar Ray, it seems like. But I felt like all the fights are fixed. So I felt like this one must be fixed, too, and that he must have... He was supposed to lose to Sugar Ray, but he wasn't going to go down easy. And... Actually, I think I think all the fights with Sugar Ray were legit, because they were like... Okay. They, it said a couple of times, like, no one else would fight those two guys. That's why they kept fighting oh, each other. Oh, word. Okay. Um, because there's another scene, I forget who Lamada's fighting, but there's one guy, like, he's getting his butt kicked, but it's not as bad as some of the fights that we see in the movie, and he just won't get up off the stool. He won't go back into the ring, and he, like, uh, yeah. I'm not going back out there. You know, I don't know. I thought I, it was very I, I, interesting. Yeah, I, I felt like all of Amada's wins are legit. Um, but like, well, I thought uh, that well, he wasn't going to get a chance at the cha- any championships until he like would play ball. Yeah. So the other fights, like I, I could set up a fight, but I'm not going to be able to go anywhere with it because I won't cooperate with the the promoters. That's that was the implication, and so okay. like if if it's a money, remember it's all about the gambling because they're they're fixing the gambling too. That's the other side of it. It's Word. not they don't. They don't really care who's champion as much as they can manipulate the 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 gambling. So they need, like, if Lamada looks like the surefire win, they need, like, they need everyone else to bet money so that they get to keep all that money, right? Because when he loses, the house keeps all the money, and then they get, and they've also wagered, so they get their bet, and then all. I think I don't fully understand how gambling and that kind of thing works, but that's my basic understanding of it. Like, if you're putting, you know, a thousand dollars on Lamada. And it's like two to one odds. So if he wins, you get $2,000. But then he loses and the house gets to keep that money. And if I run the house, then I'm I'm very happy with that. So being able to control those championship bouts. And again, making you making the audience feel like it's a surefire bet, right? So that they're going to take that bet. You know that he's going to lose. You're, he's going to take the fall. Um, it's a very, you know, very, very like scary concept. So I never understood why people would gamble on boxing because – you know, there's, there's so much, it would be so easy to manipulate. Like, cause again, we've seen people like barely be like grazed by a punch, take a dive and whether or not they really took a dive is debatable, but it, it seems that way, right? Like, you know, uh, someone just gets knocked out and the UFC is obviously similar. I don't, I don't know if like, I'm sure people gamble on UFC. I've never gambled on UFC. I, I do like it. I like to watch it. Um, but I don't, I don't fully understand it, mind you, cause I've managed to avoid any of that concept, but, um, I am, I am a fan of, uh, this movie for sure. 
Yes. I love like the scene with the opening credits. I think that the choice of music is very, um, cause it's, I don't even know what kind of music it is like classical. I honestly, uh, this is one of those movies where I was so in, I, I didn't, the soundtrack or score did not stand out to me. But again, that is, that is a weird thing with me where I'm so holistic. I often don't hear the score in a movie unless I actively like decide I want to pay attention to it. Um, so for me, it just, it just worked basically is what I'm saying. It didn't stand out, which means it wasn't making me, it wasn't taking me out of the movie. Yeah. You either don't notice it or you hate it. <laughs> or, or if I, it's like, I, I love the Jurassic Park score and I love okay. the Star Wars score, but like, I don't think the first time I saw Star Wars, I was thinking to myself, oh, the score, but I love the music in Star Wars because it makes the movie, you know what I'm saying? Like it makes that movie all the more impactful, right? And that's the same yeah. thing with, it, to be fair, like all John Williams scores that I just listed here, John Williams scores do that. They they make the movie hit those emotional beats when they need to. And so I didn't, when I was initially seeing those movies, the score was not what I was thinking about, but it was definitely why I was feeling what I was feeling. And I think that's kind of what this movie is. I think the score does what it's supposed to do, and it brings you into the movie. Thus, I am unaware of it. That's how I tend to, uh, especially on my first viewing of a movie, unless the score is making me insane, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't stand this. Um, Or sometimes I will act, especially now, because I've become aware of the fact that I am so oblivious to the score, I will actively try to listen to the score. If it's a movie that has like a, if it's quiet or there's not dialogue going on, I will like, make myself like what's happening with the music oh that's kind of cool i like that but i definitely it is not my go-to thing which is i still find weird about myself because as much as i love music when I, I i guess i love movies more and i just consider that to be one thread of the entire rope that is a movie you know what i mean mm-hmm. so no no offense to any uh composers to me if you're doing your job excellently I probably won't notice it my first viewing because you did such a good job of bringing me into the movie. So, yes. But so you like the score, uh, but you can't quite articulate what the music is. Yeah, I felt like it was classical, which seems pretty, you know, so opposite of what the movie is. It's just so. Yeah. Which is no. probably exactly what Scorsese's wanting us to think about. You know, the, the contrast of uh, the elegance of classical music and the violence of boxing and his of Jake LaMotta, uh, really his whole life, right? Yeah. I'm kind of interested. So just so everyone knows, I'm not opposed to watching a movie and then reading a book. I do usually prefer the book. Um, but I think that I want to know, like, how true to the book this is because the book is written by the man himself that lived it right yeah didn't he write the book um it's autobiography um we can use words here and it, like i think that that's really something to be able to look at yourself objectively like that because it doesn't ever seem like it bothers him it, he goes to all this trouble because he thinks that his wife is cheating on him or that everyone is doing him wrong and everything, but he never really sees that he's causing all of this. He never, like, looks at the situations in the movie like that. Like, yeah, like, that oh. he, he's the cause of his problems or whatever. Yeah. It's always what everyone else is doing, and which I oh, think Joey calls him out for, even. Oh, um, it's, 
another another thing back to the movie is then he ends up owning that nightclub in Miami and he ends up getting in trouble with the law because first of all he's kissing a 14 year old girl who again does not look 14 which she's wearing 10 pounds of makeup but I'm like why are we surprised because he was pursuing a 15 year old girl I mean, to be fair, he didn't know she was 14. Yeah. But he did, He also didn't try to find out. You know what I mean? He made zero effort in that regard. Yeah, kiss me. And then, oh, a girl that kisses like this, there's no way she can't be 21. All because they wanted to drink in his club. And then he introduced them to some men. I don't really know. That must yeah, have... They don't really clarify that, right? Like, yeah. They just have to, like, make, make, what, make lots from of that what we will. Yeah, which, but that's what they... I, they leave it for us to do that, and yeah, it's there's nothing good you can come up with from that. It's it's all going to be bad, but mm-hmm. yeah, I just and still like his wife leaves him. It never, he's just scummy from the beginning to the end, man. Like kissing those girls, talking about the waitress in his bar, club, whatever. Like the way that he just looks at women, even. So maybe I shouldn't say that it has necessarily to do with the times, but this character, this man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely um, not a good man. And again, I don't think I am kind of intrigued by the the idea that he wrote this book. Like, I wonder what his intent was with the book. Like, was right? it to a- ask for forgiveness or um, maybe regret? Like, uh, yeah, actually having the realization that I did it to myself. Yeah, like I'm, I'm very curious. Um, what the like motivation of the book is, uh, like, because he does the speech he's getting ready to give. He seems like he's a little bit like he still calls himself champ. You know what I'm saying? Like he hasn't moved past his boxing career. Like that's still where he sees himself. And um, yeah, like that's just like it's like wow. But you, you're, you're one. You never were the champ because you had to lose because you couldn't get a title match because of the the system is broken granted he was a victim of the system um but still like he's also like a lot of his own problems were because of that you know like his own attitude his his approach with everything so yeah um i think that i think we've covered the movie pretty well uh actually this is one of the most uh a movie has really pulled you into the conversation. Like I would say like you were, you were really into this. Yeah. surprisingly, because at the beginning I did have a hard time with, you know, I like to like my characters. I need to find, right. I need to like someone and I wasn't finding that, but. And I wouldn't call this a noir, but it definitely doesn't end well for the character. Right. But as, yeah. in this case, it's what it's, you kind of don't want it to end well. <laughs> No, and also, I I kind of love that scene with Joey, where he sees him coming out of what I'm assuming is a liquor store. I think he's carrying a brown paper bag. Um, yeah. <laughs> again, making assumptions. Um, and Joey, I I like that Joey is still just standing up for himself after all these years. Like, Yeah, I, I, I know. man, Joe Pesci is so good in this movie. Like, that's, like, De Niro is really good in this movie. But Joe Pesci, to me, is just like, wow, what a freaking actor. And I, I feel like he had some leading roles. Obviously, my cousin Vinny, he's the lead, and he's so good in that. And then the super, he was the lead. But he often was, like, the second or third fiddle to De Niro or, um, well, to Mel Gibson and, and Danny Glover and Lethal Weapon. 
uh, which he's really funny in Lethal Weapon 2, but it's it's still, like, not showcasing how... It's not his time to shine. I mean, yeah, but he's great at being a supporting character. So, like, that that's a needed role, so it shouldn't be a criticism, right? Like, it's not yeah. a bad thing that you're... you're Because if you're going to be a supporting character, Pesci's a great example of what a supporting actor can be like he is so good and again he's the supporting character in the irishman is phenomenal in the irishman and just god he stands out so much and again not to criticize de niro de niro is great in the irishman but joe pesci is just like a second it's just insane to me how good he is um and again especially because from my life i will always think of him as the the one of the wet bandits you know what I'm like <laughs> He's the straight man to Marv. Like that's the you know the his role in the movie. And while I liked him, and I still think he's great in both of the Home Alone movies, um, having like seen so many more of his performances, just knowing like wow, this guy is something else. Um, yeah, I, I Rage and Bull. It's it's a must see, especially if you're a film person. Um, it's it's so there's so many things I think the movie does so well. It is a I would say as a story alone, I think it's probably like not quite Bolton. Like if you're just watching it for like how how cool of a story is it, but for like the whole package that you get here, I think it's a must-see movie. I'm going to agree. I don't know when I'll be able to watch it again because there I would watch pretty rough clips scenes. again. Yeah, I would totally watch a lot of clips. Um like uh, w- one thing we didn't talk about was the 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 only really like intimate scene in the film where he like she is like teasing him because he's he, she's not teasing him, but he had told her, you know, we can't fool around before a fight, like superstition type thing. Um, I think it's superstition. Maybe it is like genuine, like science that your testosterone levels down or something. I don't know. But to me, it just was superstition that I don't have sex before a fight. Um, but like, it's, it's very intimate and it's, it's still, uh, one of the things that I, I feel is true for most of Martin Scorsese movies. He's always been very, um, like nudity is a, implied more often than it's actually there i think some of his more recent stuff i think wolf of wall street i think margot robbie's naked or something like that but um mostly he avoids nudity and like even in that scene especially because she's we don't know how young she is but uh she's not actually that young though as an actress uh which i guess if you want to get creepy that's where you know what he uh in taxi driver um jodie foster's only 12 13 she there's never a situation where you, anything is actually happening, but the she is a prostitute in the movie. Um, but uh, uh, he likes to. But again, it, it's it's he's tackling tough stories. Yeah. It's not that he's making them. Um, Goodfellas is based on a true story. This movie is based on a true story. Wolf of Wall Street is based on a true story. Uh, the Departed is based on. I think there's some actual truth to it, but it is a remake of another movie. Um, I think Casino is based on real events. Um, Taxi Driver is not. Yeah, but he's done this. Like, this is kind of. And Irishman is based on a real uh, story. Um, And a lot of them are based on, like, either autobiographies or biographies of criminals that he has found, you know, I guess compelling enough that he wants to share their story. Um, So it's, it's, you know. it's just kind of his thing. And uh, again, he doesn't always, he's not writing the screenplays on most of these either. He's just adapting them from, he's taking the screenplay and doing the movie. And so, um, but it does seem to be a, a style he likes to do. Um, so, you know, and it, they work. I mean, these movies are I great. Mean, All of the ones I just listed. That's kind of cool. Cause I don't know. Well, so I'm wondering if Mean Streets is also based on a true story. Because, again, I know very little about Mean Streets other than it's, like, well-regarded uh, Martin Scorsese films. 
Um, so uh, it's on my radar for that. And um, I'm looking forward to checking that one out. Although the next movie that we're watching um, is not Mean Streets. It is uh, The Age of Innocence. Um, Corey's first pick from the Martin Scorsese movie and a period piece. So one might guess I'm a little <laughs> I hear nervous. the dread in your voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry, guys. Although it's, it's, the cast is strong. Um, as we have Daniel Day-Lewis, who I'm a big fan of, and then uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, who I'm often a fan of, and then uh, Winona, who I like a lot. But if she's... It's New York high society, and that is an area that Scorsese is, is always great with New York stuff, in my opinion. Um, and this is... I'm guessing this is his first time with Day-Lewis, um, because they will do Gangs of New York later. Uh, but... I'm looking at the list. I don't think any of those are Scorsese films. Looking at Day-Lewis's list to see if he's in any other Scorsese's. I don't think so. I think that's his first time. So that and Gangs in New York. Um, Unless I'm wrong about a couple movies that I don't think Scorsese directed. Although Scorsese's filmography is still like baffling to me. Because like he's done so many movies that I have not seen. And I'm just like always shocked. But Age of Innocence uh, is from 1993. Um, from what we know right now, it is not free to stream on any service, but it is something you can rent on any of the rental VOD services. Um, that's what we'll be reviewing next week. So if you like what we're doing, please follow us on social media. I am at Burke Reviews and Corey. At Corey Airstar, two R's on the end. And um, if you like what we're doing, we also ask that you take a minute and rate and review the podcast. It helps other people find us. Um, we'll be back next week with our review of Age of Innocence. And until next time, keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast, burkereviews.com.